Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan G. Blanco. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we discuss technology and finance. And that typically revolves around Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and blockchain. In this next episode, I've compiled our conversations with several of our guests over the last month on one particular topic. And that topic is how Bitcoin, digital currency, and crypto is affecting the banking industry and how they're thinking about it overall. It's been a consistent topic as I've had my guests on the show. And I thought it'd be a really interesting way as if I could compile uh, the responses of some of those guests and bring them in all into one episode. This is a new thing I'm trying and I'd really appreciate your feedback and thoughts. Uh, if you could comment in Twitter or wherever you're listening to and let us know what you think. But in this episode, you're gonna go ahead and hear conversations with Corey Klipstein of Swan Bitcoin, as well as Robert Cornish of Anderson Kill, uh, which is a law firm, um, Matthew Ryan Case, uh, my counterpart with uh, Just Sats, uh, as well as Neil Berquist, uh, founder and CEO of CoinMe, who recently raised $10 million uh, for their uh, Bitcoin ATM uh, technology. Uh, and last, with Alex Mashinsky of Celsius, uh, which is a DeFi platform where you can earn interest on your cryptocurrency. I hope you enjoy this episode, and please let us know what you think. So there's all these stable coins coming out, and then um, you know some banks are, uh, for the most part, aren't I don't think they're afraid of Bitcoin by any means. I think it's more like they just don't get margin on it. Um, it's not part of the business model, right? Uh, you know, kind of in your investment banking and just banking and, and thought, what are, your, what are your thoughts overall with, with banks getting into Bitcoin? Is, do you think that happens? Is it, is it strictly just, again, a business play? Once they make margin, then they get in? To be very clear, I was in marketing at Morgan Stanley oh, okay. selling their, their <laughs> crappy white labeled mutual funds to high net worth individuals and stuff like that. So I've never actually been a banker. Okay, um, okay. It's very important to say that in Bitcoin circles. Um, but uh, no, I mean, my take on it is uh, I think that the wealth management industry very much wants to have Bitcoin available to their clients and they want to be able to, compens to be compensated on helping people come to that decision and helping them to, you know, sort of own that asset in the mm -hmm. same way that they are stocks, bonds, you know, real estate, anything else. Um, so I think that would be, that's something that we're focused on actually as a, as a next step. We had, we just added uh, Andrew Edstrom, uh, who's uh, one of the partners at Westcap and the author of Why Buy Bitcoin, also a former Goldman guy hmm. um, as our head of institutional. So Andy and I are figuring out how to make Bitcoin available for the clients of RIAs and financial advisors around the country. Um, so that's kind of our next step there. Um, we're also working on launching an IRA just for retail to be able to do tax advantaged uh, purchase and stacking of Bitcoin um, through the Swan platform into their IRA account. Um, so I think that'll be important. As far as the banks, you know, so far the the main activity that most of them involved in is just uh, is trading and uh, and then like special opportunities groups or funds inside of them, um, mostly in mining. So they'll like finance large yeah. mining products or things like. Yeah, like Fidelity is uh, doing but that. But it's always through some kind of like special side pocket institutional. Fidelity is doing some stuff. Um, Blackstone has some interesting things they've been doing with uh, their tech ops fund stuff like that. Uh, you know, so speaking of institutions, um, there's quite a few financial institutions that are thinking about, you know, how they digitize their assets, um, you know, or create their own uh, stable currencies, you know, for mm -hmm. their network. Love you kind of touched on that a little bit from just from the legal perspective and then just frankly from what you're seeing. 
Yeah, I mean, we go back to the utility token subject. Uh, we think about the you know, first thing that comes to mind is what JP Morgan is doing right now yeah. with the creation of their own dollar for the transactions within the bank that are being used already on systems that uh, people are examining for all sorts of things in the retail and the public space, I suppose. What I think this portends is that banks are going to be more and more the leaders in the use of these assets, simply because from a data standpoint, especially those entities like JP Morgan that um, intersect the borders of financial services and banking. When I say financial services, I mean essentially everything but banking. And then you have the banking on the other side. That plus all of the Dodd-Frank requirements in terms of asset segregation, risk management, so on and so forth, are going to really require these banks to create more sound, uh, swift means of settling transactions. And if there's a way for them to do that through using their own digital currencies, um, I don't see why the banking community and the banking regulators wouldn't get uh, on board with that. Yeah. I think where you have issues, of course, is what are when these coins are out there in the public and people, you know, pretend to say things about them that uh, may not be as uh, truthful as it ought to be. Sure. Um, I don't yeah. know if you'll ever see, you know, like, you know, if you're dealing with a JP Morgan bond, you know, I mean, people do a credit analysis on a JP Morgan bond. I don't know if we're going to get to the point where somebody, you know, a fixed income manager or an investment manager is ever going to have to do an analysis, so to speak, on a JP Morgan coin for the purpose of investment return. Yeah. But, well, but, but I do yeah. think. And that's because of its stable nature of, of how it's exactly uh, designed yeah exactly these are going to be instruments that are going to be used as uh proxies really for bank capital or capital moving in and out of the bank in a very swift manner like a with a swaps transaction or a settlement of a derivative you know one side of a derivative trade um you're starting to see some firms do more of that on the security side uh, which i think is you know a good thing uh, Nomura, uh, the Japanese firm, is a leader in that. Uh, I saw that NASDAQ has reached an arrangement with another uh, service provider to start uh, some development of uh, digital assets that might actually be compatible with some of the reporting systems of the NASDAQ stock market. Hmm. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that uh, people are dipping their toe in the you know toe in so to speak to have i guess maybe not the business solution to a certain problem that they're looking to solve but to have the knowledge of how this technology works and how it can be applied to solve a problem that they do not yet know of sure um, clearly somebody out there is going to take the lead in uh, how this, how the digital world is going to be uh, molded and created and 
how it's going to interact with our banking system. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we, you know, go to, you know, conferences and meet people in the digital world, you know, I think there's a reality check that folks are having that, you know, you can't have a financial system without some kind of banking structure as much as you would like to have everything totally decentralized and have everything peer to peer. Um, I don't think that does I don't think that defeats the nature of peer to peer purely. Uh, but, you know, there are just some things that people are going to have to be doing with an inter intermediary with a balance sheet uh, until the banking world changes, until the accounting world changes, until the securities markets change. Um, the technology is actually quite ahead of where our markets are right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because what's super clear on the digital currency side, you know, for a banking institution uh, is that a lot of the, the drivers um, for it are uh, improving business and technology operations, right? It's, I, I, think it's, I think it's less about even trying to be innovative or competitive in, in the sense of from like a cryptocurrency standpoint, it's more right. of like, oh, wow, thank you, you know, Bitcoin or thank you, you know, cryptocurrencies for showing us that we could do something a little bit better, which I, I actually think is kind of like a compliment to the, you know, crypto, like, you know, Bitcoin, right? Is that like, hey, like, we, we can actually move money a little bit quicker if we if we do it in this means. Um, you know, now is it like you're saying, like, is this a decentralized thing? Is this something that people are going to use for self-sovereign, you know, money and that sort of thing? Of course not, like not, not at all, but this does solve a business need for the bank so that they can send money, you know, to each other easier and so forth. Um, you know, with that, we, we have some talks about like a U.S. digital dollar, right? Which would essentially be similar in nature, right? In the sense that it would be, uh, some level of stable coin uh, for easy transfer of money as well. I mean, we just, everybody just got $1,200, you know, for the most part, uh, either by check or, um, you know, direct deposit. You know, I imagine that in a digital dollar context, we'd all get, you know, USD, you know, uh, Fed coin or something, you know, to our wallets. One of the main reasons why people will continue to get into Bitcoin is 100% strictly for the investment opportunity and have nothing to do with the, you know, self-sovereign aspects of it, right? right. But I want to be super clear when I say that. I think that's what makes those that are in it for the self-sovereign and like owning their own um, financial future they will mm -hmm. always have a leg up compared to those that are re relying on third parties and trusted mediums, right? Like sure. that's why like the Jimmy songs of the world or, you know, the APOMPs or all these people that are probably, you know, managing their own stuff will have a leg up mm -hmm. over the person that's going to use JP Morgan chase at some point in the future to buy Bitcoin. And that will happen, right? Like you will buy <laughs> Bitcoin at JP Morgan chase. You will buy it at bank of America because there will Dude. be margin opportunity there for those banks. You, you, you just brought something up, man. We, we, I think we got to talk. We got to switch gears because you just brought this up. Yeah. JP Morgan chase this week now working with Coinbase and Gemini. They yeah. are now actually servicing them. So, I mean, Jamie Dimon is really, do you hear that? You hear that? What is that? That beeping sound? That's Jamie Diamond backing up. Yeah. He's well, reversing his position. 
Look, man, it, it, it happens in virtually every industry is you, you have the incumbents say like, whoa, we don't like this. And then the incumbents are like, wait a second, we can participate in here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's actually make our own versions of this. Um, or like, hey, like, this is my margin opportunity. And so all it comes down to is, is um, the asset, uh, the, 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 um, the industry, the crypto industry has been de-risked. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's like, so, you know, as much as we want to shit on that happening, it's actually mm. amazing for the Bitcoin and crypto industry, because what that is saying is an institutional bank has de-risked right. Bitcoin enough right. to say that they want to get involved, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and you know, most of these large banks w- weren't banking any of these things because of the, le- no. the layers of risk that they had tied to it and associated to it. Sure. So, sure. Um, and by the way, when you are a bank and you say like, this is de-risked and we're going to bank it um, and we're going to do these things, why are they doing that? Is because there's margin opportunity in working with, mm-hmm. these, with these institutions. So- um, yeah, and, not, and the conversation of institutions can continue when just this week Visa has come out and announced they have uh, got a patent uh, pending or they filed a patent for their own blockchain uh, cryptocurrency. So Visa is getting into the game. Well, dude, I think that's I'm actually really stoked about that for lots of reasons. And, um, you know, I, I personally think it's OK and possible to be incredibly bullish on Bitcoin be Bitcoin maximalist when it comes to, um, you know, as a currency, but then also be supportive of in-network currency. And let me tell you why. Um, Mm. Being that I've spent, you know, over 12 years in um, retail technology, working with brands, working with um, e-commerce software, um, integrations, all that kind of stuff. One of the most valuable things that any brand, company, corporation can do is have in-network currency Mm -hmm. because then you Mm -hmm. are, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's why gift cards are so such a great moneymaker for these grant for companies because you get people in there and if they don't spend it, you already got money on it. Right. So um, you're taking, you're, you're essentially creating the evolution of the loyalty point and bringing it into cryptocurrency. So just because you have that doesn't mean that it's going to compete with Bitcoin. No, like it's they're just they're in two separate lanes altogether. Like no one's going to be um no one's going to be uh no rational person in Bitcoin is going to be like, "Oh, I'm going to replace my Bitcoin for Visa points." No, but you do transact in the everyday world and, you know, mm-hmm. if if you can get Visa tokens or whatever as reward points and you can use them in the system it's no different than your right, right it's no different than the points you already get and maybe you can use those outside of the system or whatever you don't have to go to some shitty e-commerce website to then break it down and bring it into a um, gift card to then be able to use somewhere else i've just kind of always said that i really think that banks one day will be selling bitcoin right it just like because of the margin opportunity that's the only reason right not because of uh not because of uh some need for decentralization or you know like democratizing fund money or any of that it's just like literally just on that side and so you know it seems like you're really taking advantage of an interesting opportunity there is like kind of like to be first there so i i like that you guys are are, are doing that overall. Um, you know, with that is, you know, I'd love to just get also your understanding of just, you know, how, what are your thoughts on how banks 
think about cryptocurrency, how banks think about Bitcoin. <laughs> my, my guess is you've, you've put a lot of thought into that. And I bet you've probably spoken to quite a few banks uh, in that regard as well. Hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, when, 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 when an investor asks me, you know, what's, what's one of your biggest risks, you know, or one of your biggest challenges, you know, it's finding a, a bank to partner with for scale, not only domestically, but internationally, you know, it's mm -hmm. a bit of a black box. Um, you know, the when large you, banks don't want to oh, touch it. And when you're Sorry. saying that, you mean like from like, like, uh, uh, you being a bank client for like deposits and things like that, or yeah, really, really two functions. One where we can just make deposits and pay operating expenses. And then the second one is to be able to do funds flow through. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would be like depositing customers money, wiring it to liquidity sources, filling orders. And so that would be a, an MSB account. And then uh, just the operating account, you know, just deposit our revenue and make payroll um, is seemingly is equally challenging. Um, but it, it's a risk perspective, and it's also a, um, a lot of misperceptions. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, we have we're extremely strong in compliance. Um, we we've that's where we've invested most of our money uh, into is to ensure that we have a bulletproof KYC and AML program. We do a third party AML audit every year, uh, and have passed every one. We we, we are going through an IT audit. Um, these are all uh, requirements of a licensee. Um, you know, in the early stages, they can be frustrating because they're so expensive, um, but you know, they're important long-term. They become strengths and pillars. And so when we talk to banks, we really lead with that and mm -hmm. really help them understand like um, the, our controls and protections that really make this a very actually low-risk product for them to bank and support. And so it's really just an educational piece um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, like if you were to ask a, a random room, you know, who are some of the most conservative people in the world, you know, bankers. Um, and so now we're trying to get them to support, uh, this new money, uh, you know, that's decentralized. And, um, so that's, uh, that's a challenge, but, you know, yeah. fortunately we've been able to find a few partners, uh, that have enabled the operation and, you know, we'll continue to grow and, you know, we'll see what happens uh, with some of the larger banks, you know, whether they will, will dip their toes in. Yeah. And from what you're seeing that, you know, you just mentioned that the larger banks, is it usually, you know, being able to operate with some smaller banks because they need to have some leverage level of differentiation, like as opposed to like a larger bank who might say like, oh, that this doesn't fit the risk profile or the gains not uh, yeah. positive enough? I mean, it's kind of simple, like the, the once you're over $10 billion in assets, there's a lot more controls and, and restrictions of what you can do. So if the bank's below 10 billion, you know, they can generally do more. Um, the second piece is, you know, just the general rule that, you know, the bigger you are, the lower risk you take. And yeah. so you could have one customer out of a million. And if, and if you screw up with that one customer, you can sink the ship. Yeah. Um, or, or at least, you know, put a pretty big hole on the side. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's just not worth it. You know, if you're a large bank to, to get involved, unless you're making just insane amount of fees. Um, but if you're below 10 billion, then there's a, then there's a pool of banks that will dive in and actually understand the business case for it and, and you know, create the controls and then be more willing to work with you. So, you know, that's, and I, and I think we can all agree that a lot of innovation happens in kind of that, those smaller medium-sized organizations totally. that are more agile and able to move quickly and, and not have the bureaucracy slow down or kill things early. Um, so it's, it's, that's where we're seeing in the banking sector. 
when you think about from the banking sector and, and, you know, like you said, putting a foot in the, in the centralized world and so forth, um, you know, there's all these banks, I think it's something like 10% of banks are either working on or thinking through, you know, what a stable currency uh, looks like for them and so forth. I'd uh, love to get your th- kind of thoughts overall on that. Um, it, to me, it, that seems like um, it, it makes sense in the interest of the bank, right? Uh, what are your thoughts as far as in the interest of, of the customer uh, with that regard? Can they benefit from that as well? It's a great question because really you have three horses kind of racing uh, in that area, right? You have the traditional, uh, um, what I call intranets or private blockchains, uh, Libra, um, uh, JP Morgan, all of these companies that say, hey, you don't need the the public blockchain, you don't need consensus, you don't need uh, all yeah. this other stuff. We'll run it for you and we'll make all the money. You're just gonna get the service for free. Didn't the Facebook service work well for you with fake news and fake friends? Yeah. We'll give you fake money also, you know, don't worry about it. And then you have a separate horse, which is the government. So now you have the US government, the Chinese government, a bunch of other governments are saying, oh, don't worry, we'll just take this dollar that we keep printing and we're going to put it on a blockchain and we're going to make only the government will be able to print, right? Well, we know how that ends up. Again, every empire in the history has collapsed because they printed more and more and more invisible money that didn't exist. Yeah. And we have the third horse, which is the original horse, right? Which is, which is Bitcoin, Ethereum and so on, which is the open public blockchain, just like the open public internet. So which, and each one of us, each one of your viewers have to decide, are you going to vote? with your credit card or with your bank account and keep giving them the money because remember banks don't have any money when they issue a loan they take your money and they give it to somebody else they just keep all the profit if you stop depositing all of your money over there and you start giving it to the decentralized solutions like celsius and others you're going to take all the power away from the banks and i know that because i did that with the phone companies right the phone companies, everybody thought AT&T had all the power in the 80s and 90s. People looked at me and said, are you crazy? You're going to go and take one of the largest companies in the world, one of the most profitable companies in the world? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to give people voice for free. How can AT&T compete against voice, free voice, which is what we're using right now? Right? Yeah. And, and we had one leg in the TDM network and we had one leg in the TCPIP network. We created a bridge between those two. In the beginning, you had to use your phone's system to actually use t- uh, uh, VoIP. Now we're using VoIP because everybody has an app on their phone, and the phone is using TCP/IP. Back then, the phones used TDM. Yeah. So, so, so it's I've seen this movie. That's why I keep screaming of the rooftops. Hey, I know how this movie ends. Let's <laughs> just go straight to the finish line yeah. instead of ending up in all of these uh, dark alleys and having to reverse and go back and do something else. The yeah. problem is the community, we don't have that much time. It's, we're already 11 years into it with Bitcoin and, and frankly, how many users do we have? When VoIP was 11 years old, we already had a billion users. You understand? So we're barely at 40 million users and everybody thinks everything is wonderful. Yeah. So in my world, we failed. We failed to bring all of these, we failed to give these users a real use case to come over, to come from the fiat land to the crypto land. And, and the re- for me, a real use case is simple interest income. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Uh, please make sure and rate and review our podcast. It goes a long way and helps make sure that we continue to climb the charts. Uh, feel free to fill in those five stars. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Please also make sure that you are subscribed on the channels that you've been listening this to. And please feel free to share uh, across uh, social to your friends and colleagues. You can follow me at, at JG Product on Twitter, or you can follow us at, at tflabs.io. Thanks so much, and we'll hope to see you soon. Thank you.